Thank you, Caitlin and worship team. And yeah, happy Father's Day. Uh, that's a great holiday, right, for us. And uh, I was even surprised by my son and daughter showing up here uh, by surprise. Uh, they bailed on Epiphany Fellowship Worship and came and worship with us, so that's awesome. Um, also, we all are really honored by the presence of our Urban uh, Promise folk. So why don't you stand? Please stand. Yeah. Look at them. We are really honored you're here, and we hope you know that you are an extension of our heart, and as we want to get to know you better, and as you're forging relationships here, uh, what you're doing is central to what God is doing on this planet, and um, I'm going to pray for you, uh, and I'm going to ask you to stand again, um, and I'm going to ask us to take uh, the words of the, uh, go ahead, stand right now, yeah, and I mean, you were swaying, I was hoping a conga line was going to break out. <laughs> So you're helping us realize that God is so great. You know, we have the same bodies and hands that we just forget. You know, we think they're attached to our pockets or our bodies can't sway. So thank you for your enthusiasm. Um, and we're going to pray kingdom prayers over you. I want to pray some elements of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray over you uh, in your lives and ministries. So uh, let's all bow together and pray to our God. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we come to you so thankful you taught us to call you Father. We wouldn't dare, but Jesus taught us. And Jesus also came as the one to show us the Father. And Jesus came as the one to seek those that the Father loves, namely us. So this day, Lord, we thank you that you have made us your children. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. It's amazing. And we give you praise for it, even as we praised you in music and song. There is no shadow. You won't light up. No mountain. You won't climb up coming after us. And we thank you, Lord, for those who are standing right now, who are taking a stand with their very lives, who are serving the purpose of Jesus Christ in this generation. And Lord, we're in the summer of 2022. We just pray for this season, this dispensation of time that you've given us life and breath to be on this planet, at this place, at this time. Lord, recovering from the weariness and disruption of a pandemic uh, with its effects still uh, maybe around us and we pray a weakened effect. Lord, we pray that you would take each one of these standing and use them, reinforce in them your purpose. Fill them with a sense of how deeply beloved they are in Jesus. Cover them with the protection of the blood of Christ that purchases us, that communicates how precious our souls are in your sight. Protect them physically and spiritually, psychologically in all ways to do your will. We ask, Lord, that this summer would be a summer in the city of Wilmington and the cities of this nation um, where the light shines and overcomes the darkness. We pray that it would be a summer, Lord, uh, where the redemptive power and those that are rebuilding uh, lives that have experienced trial and difficulty and ruin would be empowered. That every single voice, and each of these people standing as well as our own, our voices, Lord, would be bolder for Jesus Christ. And we would show that there is no sin stronger 
than your grace. And there is no kind of brokenness that you do not stand ready to enter in and bring your powerful healing and reversal to. So Lord, we just pray for your anointing. We thank you for this partnership. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we are not confined to the walls of this place or even to uh, the places that we live collectively, but that we are part of a global international movement working in many different places and peoples. Thank you for that reminder. Do great things, oh God, and inspire faith in our hearts as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Thank you for giving your lives to serve in the cause of Christ. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't even need to preach. We just had 36 sermons stand up, right? So uh, powerful sermons, enduring sermons. But I want to draw your attention on Father's Day. I'm glad fathers are here. It seems like there's fathers here because here's the tradition is mom, they ask mom, what do you want to do? And she says, I want to go to church. Of course you want to go to church, mom. You get a carnation and you get cadeaus. But they ask dad, you want to go to church? He goes, uh, I'll be out on the Chesapeake. I'll, uh, I think I'd like a bike ride, maybe a golfing, outing, whatever. Uh, because dad knows what he's going to get is cats in the cradle guilt trips, you know? You know, cats in the cradle. So we did cats in the cradle and the, the silver moon, the little boy plays the man of the moon. Uh, what, when you coming home, dad? I don't know when. We'll get together. You know, you know the song? And it's bad karma. It's like, Dad, you're sowing bad karma, neglecting your kids. It's going to come back and get you. So Mom gets the compliments and kudos, and Dad gets the scolding, right? I, that's not going to happen today. Um, we're going to look at, because we're in this series, Love Revolution. And one of the love that rocks the world is the Father heart of God. And we're going to look at Psalm 68 uh, and these verses that just are absolutely amazing. It'll help if I get my iPad up. Um, but we're going to look at these verses that are amazing because they show us that um, the nature of God is not primarily truth, not primarily judge, but it is primarily a lover, a father. And, and I'm going to prove that to you if you don't believe it, that the nature of God is primarily a father. And this psalm is a psalm that extols the power of God going out. Uh, and it's basically a psalm of confidence that says, if God is going in front of me, then I've already got my victory. Uh, it says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. It was often used about the resurrection. You know, that's when Jesus rose and his enemies are scattered, right? And it talks about God doing these great exploits. And so it looks like, you know, God is flexing his muscle, showing how powerful he is. And then in the midst of this Psalm, we have this most tender, exquisite description of God. There is no other religion. There is no other philosophy. There's no other God described like the God of the Bible here. Uh, and, as, and, and let's just look at it, starting at verse four. It says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. And then verse five, a father to the fatherless. That doesn't seem to match up. But it says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. 
Let's look at this passage. It, it speaks of this God who is coming on the clouds, uh, and it speaks of him uh, as he leads the prisoners out, and, and in, the, in the whole counsel of who God is, uh, just right within God's own self, um, verse 5 says um, that God in his, in his holy place is how it literally is. That God in his holy dwelling is a father to the fatherless. That this is the essence of who God is 24-7. And, and here's how God's compassion is different than yours and my compassion. When we're showing compassion, and by the way, that's a good thing, our compassion often comes spontaneously. It comes as an impulse to something that we see. That's not the way God is. God doesn't need to see it. He doesn't need to encounter it. He is always compassionate. His compassion is constant. Ours is spontaneous. Our compassion is sporadic. You know, so you see the video of the orphan child or you hear the story of someone in need and it sparks compassion. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's nowhere near as strong as God's. Our compassion is spontaneous, it's sporadic, it's like our giving, we give you know, spontaneously, there's a cause, it gets, okay, it got our attention. It, it for a moment, turned away, uh, you know, what's constantly broadcasting to my brain is that life is about me, myself, and mine, 24 seven, and so the spirit gets through, yay, all right, I see somebody else. <laughs> I have others' awareness, you know? You know how babies don't have that? <laughs> I don't have it by nature. I need the spirit. But God's spirit, the reason he gets through to me like that is because he's always that way. So our giving is spontaneous, sporadic, and to be honest, it's sparing. God is constant and he is all in to show his compassion. And it says that he is constantly thinking of the fatherless. Do you know the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that our God, before he ever had a sin to hate, he had a son to love. This is why he is, he is not a judge by nature. He is not a God of, of punishment by nature. You have to provoke him uh, with persistent unrighteousness. But, but you know what you need to do to get him to love you? Nothing. Because he is loving in his very nature, always in his most holy place. Um, God's heart is restless until his love is poured out and expressed because from all eternity, there was this party of love going on between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If God were a solitary being like Islam, he would have had to learn to love. He would have had to create something so that he could experience this love and loving back but because our God is a trinity and he is the Father, Son, and Spirit, he is primarily a father who delights in his children and he has always been delighting in the Son and the Spirit and this, this party, this dance we're invited into. Uh, and so this is the description that the Bible gives of, of our God. And, and I wanna show you, I'm gonna, I wanna kinda take you on a tour of the scriptures. It's kind of a shock and awe tour because I want to show you how often God describes himself this way. This is, not, this is not a little emphasis that I picked on Father's Day or to put in Love Revolution. In virtually every time period of the Bible, 
in virtually every kind of text, whether it's the poet writing or a prophet coming to shake the people out of their sleepiness spiritually. Uh, Wherever it is, God drops this description of himself. And, And this is really important how God describes himself. It's like God is introducing himself. It would be, it's interesting to me sometimes in meeting you all, like how do you introduce yourselves? Like what comes up first? What is at the foremost that you want to be known for? What, what is at the very front? And, and you know, I, I, I have to suppress, yeah, my, the first thing that comes up is not that I own a brilliant schnauzer um, and, and that I am crazy about this dog. No, 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 it's not. I am crazy about this dog this way, crazy. But, but first, you know, I'm a Christ follower. And, and in that calling, I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a, like those, those begin to portray, portray values. In biblical times, when the gods of other nations would describe themselves, they would often describe their conquest, how they subject people to themselves, how they had better not be crossed. And, and yeah, somebody said it, like the profile of a narcissist. But our God, his calling card is, I'm a father to the fatherless. I'm a, I'm a judge of widows. It's interesting, you know, um, judges we usually think of as saying, well, a judge, you want to make sure a judge is like not biased at all, just the facts, whatever. But our God already knows all the facts and basically the fix is already in. He says, if you are a person who has lost something precious and irretrievable, like someone has lost their spouse, you are on the heart of God. Amen. You, you know what a definition of a father is, biblically? A father is someone whose heart beats in someone else's body. You know that moment of parenthood? If you're a parent, you, you've discovered, you know, maybe it was in the, you know, I think for women sometimes it happens even faster. Maybe it, while, that, while that heart is literally carried by the woman in her body. But, but that you see that child, and at least for me it happened when the child can kind of look back at you and interact and you realize, oh my God, you have expanded my category of love because that little boy or that little girl that is mine, my heart is now gonna be walking on this earth wherever they walk, right? Isn't that what parenting is? Isn't that what the blessedness of parenting is? To say my heart is in someone else's body like that I, I, I can't just think of myself anymore. This is, this is how the Bible describes God. That, that God is this, is, is this being of overflowing love. And in the, in the Bible, there is what Tim Keller calls in this great book called Generous Justice. Great biblical book um, surveying justice in the Bible. And he says that God has a quartet. Have you ever heard that? God has a quartet? There <laughs> um, is a quartet that he's always tuning his radio dial to. And you know who sings in this quartet? because it occurs in the prophets and the Psalms and throughout the Bible, um, it is the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the sojourner, the foreigner who has lost everything. You think of what's happened to some people in the Ukraine. And some of them have been forcibly deported and dropped into Siberia in an act of cruelty. 
Uh, that, that it says God's heart is for the person who's lost it all, lost their country, their culture, maybe their family, all their connections, and the poor. And, and so it's, it's again and again and again in the Bible, and, and I want to just show you some of them, okay? Let's look. Moses said this again and again. This is Deuteronomy 10, verse 18. This is how God describes himself. He says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So this, this is Moses. And do you know, commentators say that the most prevalent command in Deuteronomy is love the Lord your God. You know, if, if, you, if you do that, basically, and you do that with the totality of who you are, then just do, every, do whatever you want. As long as you keep doing that, you, you won't disobey anything. <laughs> if you never stop doing that, <laughs> you don't even need any other commands. Love the Lord your God with your all. And, and so this, this command comes, this is the second most frequent command after that one, is to take care of the sojourner, the widow, the fatherless, uh, and the poor. Is that, does that not rock our world a little bit? <laughs> After love the Lord your God, God is pointing our direction to the people in the bleakest situation who've experienced the most heartbreaking loss and God is pointing us outward, out of ourselves. He's not even giving us advice for our life. <laughs> How many of you came to church saying, I just hope Bob gives me some unsolicited advice. I just want more expectations laid on my back this morning, right? That, that's, I know that's why dads came today, right? Now, you know what God says? He says, I want my heart for other people. I want the fact that I'm always dialed in to the widow, the fatherless, the poor, and the sojourner who's lost it all, the refugee. I want what's in my heart to be in your heart. It's the second, you can check me out on this, it's the second most frequent command in all of Moses. Um, then, Zechariah, great prophet of God. If you read Zechariah, it's like the revelation of the Old Testament. And this is just one of the places, God, God says in Zechariah chapter seven, verse nine, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another, um, let's see and do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the foreigner or the poor you can count to four right it's the quartet it's the quartet that God again is saying this, this is what I'm about this is what I'm doing um, I, I'm, I'm just not going to have time to go on and on because one of the cardinal principles of Father's Day is do not preach an hour long sermon please right <laughs> somebody said amen uh, yeah, all right. I hear you. I hear you. Um, but so it's, it's there. You know what? It's also in Job. When Job is explaining why he's not suffering because he has somehow offended God, uh, which, by the way, is, is I don't believe anybody's suffering because that God is like smiting them in a, you know, a peak of anger. <laughs> That's not true. Um, Sometimes we suffer because we have gone against the grain by which God has created us. You know, if I've got high cholesterol and I like ribeyes with great big slabs of butter on them uh, with a side of, you know, baked potatoes slothered in, you know, bacon, which sounds great. Um, I, I'm not, 
I'm not suffering ill effects because I have ticked off God. I've, I've gone against the grain of what my body can handle if I've got high cholesterol. Um, and, and so Job here is defending himself. And he says this, I, I've lived with integrity. He says, because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I love this phrase here where he says, I made the widow's heart sing. Isn't that beautiful? Man, I, this is such a gorgeous portrait that Job has given us. And you know, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Um, the, the oldest of all of the books. And here he's, he's showing us that this was written on his heart. He says, I put on righteousness my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. Uh, he says, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. And then he says, I was a father to the needy. And I took up the cause of the stranger. That word stranger means foreigner or sojourner. And he says, I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. So he got involved in the courts. And it's, it's all over Job. He went into the courts. He used his wealth. He used his influence. He used his prestige to fight for the, for the ones who couldn't fight for themselves. And, and so I, I could go on and on. We could be here, you know, well afternoon. By just, and sometime, I'd love to do a survey with you all just on what does the Bible actually mean uh, by its category. It's so more beautiful and it's different and shocking than the world's category, but it takes our breath away with the grace and the breath and compassion of our God. But here's what I want you to see on this Father's Day is God's Father heart is in essence who he is. And what he wants to do is translate that Father heart into us. And so it's his calling card that he drops when he describes himself. But here's the bigger beauty. It's what he wants us to be known for also. In a world that may say, I, I may disagree with what some of your beliefs are and some even of your moral restrictions. I scratch my head, I don't understand them. But man, you're living out a narrative that is so beautiful, I can't deny the attraction to it. I am so passionate that our generation, this generation, I don't really, I like to think of, you know, I like to think of myself as not the generation I'm in sometimes. <laughs> but I'm, I know I'm, I don't even play golf, but I know I'm beyond the ninth hole. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, so we, there's only so many, so much left to play. But it's like, I want to be known as someone who helps build uh, and serve a church that is so beautiful that the generation that has often been turned off because they've seen other agendas come into the church, they may say, I still struggle with some of your beliefs, but I see something compelling and beautiful there. I, I, I see where that's going. And look, I don't say this in self-righteousness because I think I've, I partook of this. But there's a book that... Um, just rocked my world with grief. I mean, literally just, oh, grief. And I don't even know that I recommend it to you unless you want to grieve unfaithfulness. But it's, it's a book called Jesus and John Wayne. And it's about, um, it's a 50-year history that I lived through parts of it, and parts of it predated me and formed me. But it's a 50-year culmination of where we exchange the Jesus-directed Christianity for kind of a, a militant but bogus bootleg 
Christian toxic masculinity. And it swept up a lot of good people. I'm not saying this in self-righteousness. I think some of these people swept up in this are much better than I am. They're gonna be closer, if there's, if there's proximity rewards in heaven, they're gonna be closer to the throne than I am. I'll need, I'll need binoculars, except my resurrection vision might, might have zoom, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, so that I can zoom up and see them. Uh, but, but what Kristen Dumay says, and, and full disclosure, she's, she's become kind of a, a, a friend of mine from a distance. I call her friend. I don't know if she'd call me friend. I call her friend. But she says, you know, Jesus and John Wayne means that John Wayne, who, who, he was this hero, uh, but he became an evangelical hero, a kind of Christian hero, and he never really professed Christianity that we know. He, he was a rugged and ruthless icon of masculinity, and he became endowed, endowed with a religious significance. And he was seen as an example of Christianity, but he really didn't show any fruit of the Spirit or Christian attributes. And it became linked to what men are all about. And... and Good people got caught up in it. And I really, I hesitate even to say this when I think there's been some repentance to it. But you know that in, in 2014, an organization that I have loved and I'm grateful that they exist, because of this intersection of this wrong-headed masculinity, it's not the heart for the fatherless and the father, but it's this militant, you know, kind of culture war method of Christianity that says, you know, there's non-believers out there trying to steal your souls and they're telling lies and they're doing this and we're gonna go to battle with them, we're gonna go to war, we're gonna, and you know what? You can't win people to Jesus and war against them. I just wanna tell you right now, I, I would encourage you to be a conscientious objector to the culture war <laughs> because you cannot love people and, and give them the message that there is a God who died for their souls and so, in 2014, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association's magazine, you know who they put on their cover in 2014? As an exemplar of, quote, and this is what they said, a defender of traditional Christianity because they had imbibed this toxic view of God. Do you know who they put on their cover? Franklin Graham endorsed him. Vladimir Putin. They said, he is awesome. He is a defender, a traditional Christianity. Let's praise him. And in the same issue, they warned us that President Barack Obama was going to lead our nation to atheism. That was what he was doing. <laughs> oh! And we wonder why the, some of the younger generation look at us and they say, I'm not, I can't listen to you. I can't hear anything you're saying. <laughs> because I'm seeing some of what you're doing and saying, and it does not look like Jesus, and they're saying, you know what? I've got to leave you in order to keep my faith in Jesus. See you later. <laughs> I'm gonna chase after those folk, and I want you to chase after them with me. <laughs> but you know how I wanna chase after them? <laughs> I wanna chase after them by showing them the Father <laughs> in how we live, as well as the one who we love and point to. That, that's what this text invites us to do. That's what it's inviting us to do. It's saying, fill that space, fill that vacuum with this powerful love of God. And, and advocate in the place of the widow. This is what Jesus did. 
You know, the Bible's just obsessed with pointing us to people in need and saying, express the love of God in the vacuum of that need. You, you think of, of how Jesus did this. He told parables about widows who had no bootstraps to pull themselves up with, pleading to judges day and night. Um, when Jesus went before the religious Pharisees, he exposed them. He said, you take up offerings that devour widows' houses. And you know, that's going on today. We've got these so-called fake television evangelists, and man, they get people to give over their social security so that they can fly in their Learjets. It's bogus. Jesus warned about it in Matthew 23. He was the defender of the widow. Uh, in Luke 7, there's a widow who is burying her only son, and Jesus went and he raised that son up right there. And and Luke says, God has visited his people, redeeming the widow. You know, Jesus' inaugural address, you know why he almost got thrown off the cliff? You remember that? Remember they tried to kill Jesus in Luke 4? First time he got up and spoke, they're going to make him have a very short preaching career. Uh, and they, they did it because Jesus said, God was working among the widows in Elijah and Elijah's day. But as it wasn't the widows of Israel that he was helping, it was the widows of the Syrians, our enemies because they were responding in faith and he was saying, hey, our God is not a tribal deity. He's not a nationalistic God. Our God does not have a favored country. He is a God who wants to bless all of the countries, right? This is because his father heart is, is a big, big heart. And, and, and I'd say there's a, lot of, there's a lot of communities that would throw the preacher and Jesus out of there when he starts talking like that. I love, I love our country, and I hope you do too. There's, we need to love our country, but you know what? It isn't in the same stratosphere as our God. And it doesn't affect my view of the mission of my God. It's just the place where I live, I love. I want it to do well. I want to maintain the freedoms we have. And, and so this heart of God, it, 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 it throbs in this way, and it's expressed both globally and locally right where we are. I mean, it's why we are taken up, and I think we've already exceeded what we need to put that roof on that church for that ministry in Kenya that's ministering to children who don't have a mom and dad. It's why our, our compassion has, has no bounds, but also, the, the, you know the word for widow in, in the books of 1 Timothy is not the word for a woman who has lost her husband. It's just a woman, it's a word for a woman who has had to raise children alone. So you think of, of single moms. Kent Hughes writes this way. He says, the application of the word widow uh, should be wider and more radical uh, because here we are talking about the single mom. I can tell you without even looking at statistics, do you know who the greatest impoverished group is in Chester County? Single mom. Uh, it, it's the mom who, who maybe wasn't married or was once married, husband's gone, he recovers, he gets his finances back together, and guess who doesn't? It's her. It's, it's where most of the benevolence fund, you know, benevolence fund, compassionate fund, diaconal fund, whatever you want to call it, almost all of it, usually when it's administered, it winds up there because that's the place of need. This, this is the heart of, of God for those who are fatherless. This is the heart of God that gets in that lowest place. And there is an application of this for all of us um, to do something right in front of us. I think of those who are just even 
who are both either literally fatherless, but also those who are functionally fatherless. How many of you um, watched, maybe it was through your kids, or maybe you grew up being shaped by this, the, the TV show in West Philly, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? You guys, where are that? Will Smith, right? And uh, Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv. And you know, there's, there's an, I, I did not realize how much that show is really, it has an orphan theme. Uh, because he's living with his aunt and uncle for a reason. And there's a one particular episode that they call Will Smith's breakout episode. Because it was this episode, it's called Papa's Got Another Excuse. And this was the episode where his, his acting took on such depth that people said, this guy is not just a child actor, this guy is an amazing actor. He's gonna go places. And I wanna read you some of the dialogue here because here's, here's where the dialogue comes. Um, he has just seen his dad back out at the last minute once again on a trip that they were going to take. Uh, and so um, his dad has just kind of told Will Smith, I'm not gonna make the trip. And so he's just kind of stuffing the emotions. And Uncle Phil says to, to Will Smith, he says, I'm so sorry, Will. And Will says, you know what? Actually, this just works out better for me. This is great. And Uncle Phil says, Will, it's all right. You can be angry. And Will Smith says, hey, why should I be mad? I'm saying, at least he said goodbye this time. I just wish I hadn't wasted my money buying him this stupid present. And he, and he lays down this picture of, uh, of a father cradling his young toddler child in his arms. Lays it down, and the film like hits that for a moment. Uh, and then Will goes on this tirade. He says, hey, you know, uh, you don't have to do anything, Uncle Phil. Not now, not ever. You know, it ain't like I'm just five years old, you know? It ain't like I'm gonna be sitting up every night asking my mom, when's daddy coming home, you know? Who needs him? Hey, he wasn't there to teach me how to shoot my first basket, but I learned how to shoot baskets pretty good, didn't I? I got pretty good at it, Uncle Phil. Phil says, yeah, yeah, you did. And he goes, Will goes, yeah, and you know what else? In this tirade, he says, I got through my first date without him, right? I learned how to drive. I learned how to shave without him. I learned how to fight without my dad. I had 14 great birthdays without my dad, and he never even sent me a card. And then he says, hack with him. I didn't need him then. I don't need him now. Phil just says, you can see the looks on, if you see the video, in Phil, Uncle Phil's face, just like, oh, he's so pained. And Will says, now, you know what, Uncle Phil? I I'm gonna get through college without my dad. I'm gonna get a great job without him. I'm gonna marry me a beautiful honey. We're gonna have a whole bunch of kids. I'm gonna be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as heck don't need him for that because there isn't a darn thing that he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. But how come he don't want me? How come my dad don't want me? Oh, man. Every time I watch that or read that section, I realize this, this is the experience. Not just of so many people who functionally live without a dad, but this is the experience of every single person who walks on this earth who does not know they are the beloved child of God through Jesus Christ. If you don't know God in this way, you're living as an orphan. This is why Jesus came. He says, 
if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what do we see Jesus doing? We see in every situation, you could just write over every description of every interaction Jesus has that this is a description of how a father acts when he wants his kids back. The woman caught in adultery that they're seeking to stone that Jesus intervened so powerfully on. It says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone and delivering her from that and then saying to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That's a father who wants his daughter back. He said, my daughter's being abused and accused and set up and, and used in this way. I want her back. That's when, we, when Jesus said, I have shown you the Father. This is, you want to know what the Father looks like in, in human skin walking this earth? Jesus shows us. He, he is the fullness of the Father. No one ever lived like that father in action who wants his children back. And so I want to close just with two appeals. First of all, if you've never come to know God as father in this way through Jesus, come and receive his love this morning. Drop your excuses, drop any sense that you have to clean yourself up or prepare yourself in any way or take a theology course. It's just enough that it resonate with your heart that that and, and that you sense the, the promise of God that he says, I will be a father to you. It says, behold, the manner of love that the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And it, it, John 1 says that as, as many as uh, received him, even to those who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. That's how big our father's heart, he doesn't want anybody in the hearing of this message online, in this room, wherever, to leave this room without grasping the hand that reaches out to you, the fatherly hand, and, and to say, I rec receive my place as your beloved child. You could describe the work of missions in the church as simply bringing people to a recognition that they are the beloved children of God. And that this, this is who God is. This, this is what he does. This is the tone and the tenor of all the things we have to say. Receive the Father for salvation. And then secondly, having received it, if you've received it like I have, if you've received it just purely, pure, sheer grace, nothing else, then make it your whole life's aim and make it the aim of this church to reflect that Father's heart. When I read the great Christian leaders, when they talk about this, they, they did not give part of what they had. They thought nothing but to give their whole lives to this. Some of the people on the planet that I respect the most, they're people who, they're doing foster care, they're adopting children, they're adopting siblings. Um, that's a unique call but it is such a beautiful reflection of the adoption that we have received in, G in Jesus Christ. And here's what I would say. In the age we live in, there are so many orphans and so many who are functionally living fatherless that some of us are called to take that step of, of courageously adopting. I know somebody who's adopted like eight siblings. Ethiopia, that had to get a new van, okay? I look at that, man. I, I, I think I had the courage to say, God, if you want that, okay. But I think God looked at me and said, no. No, not your call. 
But help those folk. Help those folk. Be part of, be part of that community. When I read times of renewal in the church, you know, a renewed church not only gives 10% of its income away for the message of the gospel, but it gives another more than 10% away just to take care of widows and orphans, the benevolence fund, the compassion fund. I don't think we can say we're obedient. I mean, when we get to the point where I start preaching on giving, which I'm not gonna do for a while because you're still getting to know me and I don't wanna tick you off early, but, um, <laughs> but when we get to that, I'm gonna suggest a percentage, but I wanna make sure that we're giving that percentage, right? I, I wanna make sure that, that we're taking those funds and, and doing what we can. And I know it's sometimes it's, just like on the human level, it's, it's building up to it. But what I wanna say, God's going all out for this. And around 2010, I realized that I was at a stagnant point in, in my spiritual life, and I just said, I was like, I need, to be, I need to be challenged, I need to take risk, and in the blessedness of that, God brought to us some friends who were aware of the HIV AIDS orphan crisis in Africa, and just realized like, I've gotta tether my life and take some risk for that. And you know what? Risk is the wrong word to use when we're just obeying God. But I will tell you, most of the blessing that I saw break out, not only in my life, but in the life of the church that I pastored, happened because we dared to say, we are going to invest ourselves wholeheartedly here. I don't have a prescription for what that looks like for CLC in, in the, any specifics, but I can tell you this, if we will but pray and say that, God, we wanna invest. We're not gonna say, bless us. We're gonna say, help us do what you are blessing. And this is what God is blessing. Because his heart is beating in these bodies when he's in his holy place. This is who he is. And what a privilege that after coming to know Jesus, we can, we can say, Jesus, you perfectly showed people the Father heart. I want you to help me in a greater and greater way approximate that Father heart. Um, that heart that is restless until that love rests upon the person who's experienced the greatest loss the greatest weakness, the greatest vulnerability in the world, I want to step into that sphere because that's exactly what Jesus does. That's what it looks like. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are bold away that the God who created the beauty of the blue sky and the bright sunshine that we'll enjoy today is a God whose heart also is so full of an irrepressible radiant light that extends its reach to the likes of us. To the likes of us. And that then in reaching into our lives, overcoming the darkness that would seek to take up residence in us, you fire out of that darkness not only light into us, but a light, Lord, that will be manifest in the darkness that others are experiencing. Father, would you do that? Would you do that in your church? Would you do that in a special way in the narratives of our lives? Lord, would you show us how to live a bigger narrative than just loving our own friends and family who love us back? 
Lord, if we do that, we're just like people who don't know you. Lord, we want more. And I thank you so much for the manifestations of that that you've given here in this place, in this people. And Lord, we pray, do even greater things. We ask this, Lord, and pray that you would seal the beauty of who you are to our hearts, that we might live it out in Jesus' name. Amen.
Believer in Christ, this is who you are. You have been brought back to the family of God by the courageous, self-giving act of the Father through the Son. And now the Spirit would empower us to live that way in the coming weeks. So lift your hearts up and you may want to extend your hands and just, just ask God to, re to receive a fresh impartation of his empowerment this week. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. To him be the glory forever and ever. And God's people together said, amen. amen. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are.